All right, when you get to Proverbs 13 and you're ready, you can say, Great is thy faithfulness. <laughs> Stu's ready. Heard him. <laughs> All right, chapter 13, starting in verse 1. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. From the fruit of his mouth a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The soul of the sluggard craves and, craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. A ransom, the ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but those who take advice is wisdom. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Well, if you are joining us for the first time and you don't know what we're doing, we are working our way through the book of Proverbs. If you have been with us, you know that we are working our way through the book of Proverbs. So the last couple of weeks, we have learned some really awesome things of trying to find real wisdom for real life. And we've said that over and over again, that real wisdom is, just, is not just the, the Instagram pictures that we see of one another's life, the best moments. It's the best and the worst all meshed together. That's real life, and that's what we are seeking wisdom to live out in that real life. Last week, we talked about the importance of our words, and this week, we are going to talk about wealth. Wealth, finding real wisdom for real life and using our wealth wisely. And you're like, great, I came to church on the day where one of the pastors is talking about money. He's going to ask me to give everything I have to the church and give all of my social security information and credit card and children and blood and all of that. We'll see. Stick around. We'll see. Um, no, but money, it's a big deal, right? Like you can't, you can't go through life or one single day uh, without thinking about something that is tied to your finances, without something that is tied to uh, what it is. It's how we operate as a country. It's how we got to where we are today. It's how, it's how we have the society that we have, that you can roll up to munch and pump and you can walk out with a Mountain Dew and a, and a tank full of gas because of money, because of wealth. It's something that we, that we acquire. It's something that we are blessed with and given as a gift, but it's something that we can also earn. And it's something that we can also use wisely or use foolishly. Um, and so I thought it would be really fun in terms of money to talk about like where we are big picture as a country. And if you follow along with the stats um, or see these statistics on a regular basis, I am so sorry. Um, I was very depressed looking at these numbers. And so I want to invite you all into that with me. So let's look at these numbers on where we are at as a country in terms of our finances. Uh, these are the three things that we spend most of our money on. We spend most of our money uh, as a country on Medicare and Medicaid, so health care, Social Security, um, 
keeping people paid when they retired, and war and defense, keeping us safe. Uh, so those are the three things that our country deems most value with their money. Um, the U.S. total assets, like this is the total stuff that we have in terms of land and, and money in the bank and all of that, uh, it's actually a lot more than I thought it would be, which is really, really comforting. But if we used all of that to like set our debt balance to zero, then we would have no, it would be a wash. I don't know. It's crazy. But the amount of assets that we have as a country, it's just blowing my mind. These numbers are insane. Listen to this. The U.S. total assets are listed at 128 trillion dollars. That's about $388,000 per person. And some of you are like, where's my 388? Like, this is all adding up to, from one person and all it comes to the day. It doesn't work like that. Um, we don't have $388,000. Student loan debt, where we're at in terms of that, is $1.7 trillion. $1.7 trillion. If you average that out per every student that has taken out a loan, that would, that would wash out to about $38,000 per student. $38,000 per student. The amount of interest that we have paid as a country on our national debt, this is just interest, this is not principal, is $3.8 trillion in interest on the current balance that we have, which is just going up. That's about $15,000 per person. You thought you got shorted over on paying interest on your house. Think again on how this works. The total national debt is everything that we owe. Other countries, ourselves, sometimes we owe ourselves money. I don't know how that works. The total national debt for the United States of America is $28.5 trillion and climbing. $28.5 trillion. That 0.5 is just 500 billion. It's not a big deal. 28.5 billion, 100 billion. How did we get here? But like, I remember when I was a kid and hearing my, my parents talk about like, oh, I can't believe like the debt ceiling is going to raise from like one to three trillion and we're going to lose our minds. And we're, gonna, we're just like 28 and a half right now. It's insane. How did we get here? Well, let's, let's zoom in a little bit contextually on us because those numbers are kind of out of reach, although they affect us a little bit. But here's how they do. The average household income in Butler County is $37,878. That's for a married couple with two kids, a family of four. 21.6% of our population lives below the national poverty line in Butler County. Over 20% would qualify as impoverished. What, how did we get here? Because if we're coming to the book of Proverbs and we're learning from Solomon and we're learning wisdom, real wisdom for real life, we know that Solomon was the wisest man to ever live outside of Jesus, but he was also one of the wealthiest people in human history. God gave him wealth and good things and this wisdom he utilized to gain more of it. Let's, let's look at what Solomon did with his wealth. Like, the, the Bible tells us that there was gold everywhere in Solomon's days. Like, like the pew that you're sitting on covered in gold, your teeth covered in gold, like you're washing your hands, there's gold, molten gold coming out of the tap. That's probably not great. It was everywhere. Like, and he had so much in terms of refineries and people bringing him gold on a regular basis that he brought in about 25 tons of gold every year. 25 tons of gold would come into Solomon's kingdom every single year. And back in the day, that was about a million per ton. So in Solomon's day, it was worth 25 million. If you adjust for the price of gold today and inflation, that's about $1.6 billion every year that came in for King Solomon. That's just gold. That's not like spices and silver and, and monkeys and peacocks. It's, there's records of him getting that stuff coming in off of ships on a regular basis. The guy was lavish, and there was gold everywhere. Listen to for 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 21. All of King Solomon's drinking vessels, so coffee mug, were of gold. 
All vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver, because silver was not considered anything in the days of Solomon. Like, there were silver toilets. Just think of it that way. Silver was such a commodity and so, so normal that it was used for everyday things, and it was not counted as anything in terms of value. Solomon's net worth, biblical scholars estimate at the time of his reign, was $312 billion, already past Jeff Bezos. And that's in his day. Today, if you translate that, it's about $2.1 trillion, Solomon's net worth today. Now, we have records of Solomon's life. We know how he lived, that generally he did what was pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. Towards the end of his life, yes, he squandered his wealth and he followed the gods of some of his other wives. But generally, for the majority of his life, he was wise in his dealings and how he handled wealth. And so what happened? Why is there this disconnect between what we see in terms of Solomon not owing anybody money, not being in any crazy amount of debt, and how do we get to where we are? Like drowning in red and never hoping to see the black anytime soon. Well, we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about how we can be wise with our wealth. And in order to do that, we have to do two things. Number one, we have to have a right perspective of wealth. And number two, we have to understand that there is a right purpose for wealth. So let's jump right into it with the right perspective. The right perspective. We have to have the right perspective with our wealth. Um, if you're anything like me, uh, you need a dictionary for pretty much anything. And I didn't know what the word philanthropy meant this week, and I had to look it up. And ph a philanthropist, if you didn't know, I'll inform you, is just somebody who gives a bunch of money away to charity. That's like what they do with their wealth. So when you think of a philanthropist, you probably think of people like Oprah Winfrey, Bill and Melinda Gates, Warren Buffett, these people who have giant amounts of money, Jeff Bezos, that, that give tons and tons of money away. But in reality, they still have so much left over. They, they are still billionaires and have so much to their name. In terms of philanthropy, you probably never thought of or heard of this guy. This guy is known as the James Bond of philanthropy. His name is Chuck Feeney, Charles Feeney. Charles Feeney graduated from high school in the 1940s. He served as a uh, radio operator in the Korean War. And when he got out of the war, he decided to start his career and his business. And the first thing that he did was create what is called duty-free shopping. So when you're in between countries or like coming back from Mexico and you don't want to pay taxes on a five-gallon jug of vanilla for all of your baking needs, you can buy that there at a duty-free store and you can come home with it. And realistically, everyone's going in there to buy cigarettes and alcohol because that's all you ever see in those duty-free stores. But you come through there and you can get you know, tax-free, duty-free purchasing and go through and be on your way. He invented that and started that. Over the course of his life, he invested in some major companies that we would know today to be major companies, and the guy made a ton of money. His net worth is not really, um, well, today we know his net worth before he died, but in the time that he was making money and producing wealth, nobody really knew because he, he flew under the radar with it. He's credited with saying things like, well, you can only ever wear one pair of pants, um, or he when he traveled, he flew on airplanes. He didn't have like a briefcase or anything. He flew in coach. He basically, well, here, let me read this from the New York Times. The New York Times says this about him. He says, until he was 75, he traveled only in coach and carried reading materials in a plastic bag. For many years, when in New York, he didn't have lunch at the luxury restaurants, but in a small, tiny confine called Tommy Makem's Irish Pavilion on East 57th, and he ate burgers there. As of 2016, he lived in a rented apartment in San Francisco with his remaining net worth nest egg, rented an apartment. His remaining nest egg was just about a million dollars. Now, the New York Times does this cool thing called a generosity index based on your net worth and how much you give is your percentage of your generosity index. This guy, no one knew the total of his net worth, 
but his, our assumption is that he gave it all away. Over the course of, of the 1950s, where he started duty-free all the way to his retirement, he gave away over $8.5 billion, and his net worth was a million. Everything the guy made, everything he made. He had a quote, you can look it up online, he basically, it's to the tune of, when, the, the one, one thing I remember in my heart that never left me was the purpose of my wealth is to give it away. The purpose of my wealth is to give it away. Chuck Feeney had a perspective that I think that we all could learn from, and that is a pretty biblical perspective. We have to have a right perspective of our wealth and understand that first and foremost, in a world where everything tells us that you get what you get on your own, that our wealth is not from us, but we actually, we actually get it from God. We get our wealth from God. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. How does this perspective help us? Like, why, why is it important that we have a perspective of knowing I get my wealth from God? I get my money from God. God did the same thing and commanded the same thing with his people, the people of Israel, when they came out of Egypt. Do you guys remember the story? The story of, I think Charlton, Charlton Heston is the one that we reference all the time. I, there, is there another Moses out there that's not Charlton Heston? Whatever. If, if he exists, he's not worth it because, yeah, Charlton Heston did a great job. So anyways, let my people go. And then in the midst of all of these plagues, eventually God tells them, hey, I'm going to send these plagues. And then the Egyptians are like, you're going to like taste bad in their mouths, essentially is what he says. And that they're going to force you out and you're going to leave with great riches and great wealth that I will provide for you. And it happens. Like plague after plague, Pharaoh says no, and, and Moses says God says let his people go. And eventually, after the, the, after the last plague comes in, Pharaoh's like, get your, your people out of here. All the people of Egypt are like, we don't care. Here, take all of our stuff. Just whatever it takes, just leave. Here's our gold. Here's our money. All of that. And so the people of Israel leave, leave Egypt wealthy and rich with great belongings and possessions that God had given them. And God told them when he spoke to Moses and wrote the law with his own finger on these tablets and gave them to Moses, he said to remember that. He said to remember that all of that wealth that you accumulated came from me, that you got it from me. Lest when you go into the new promised land that I'm bringing you and you have a good harvest and you don't have any enemies and you have a ton of money and a lot of great things are happening to you, you say to yourself, I did this on my own. God is saying, I did this for you. I gave this to you. Even so much so as he says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, even the ability to earn it. Like, what does that look like? Well, some, some of you can turn a wrench, and God has given you the gift to turn a wrench. All I can do is turn a wrench. I don't know about what the wrench is or what it does or what I'm fixing, but I can turn one. God has given you guys, some, some of you, the ability to open the hood of a car and get under there and see what, make sense of it. I don't know. He's given you the ability to, to use your hands and to work, to look at numbers and spreadsheets and tables and, and do calculations in your head. God has given you these gifts in order to work and receive wealth from him. He gives you the ability to earn wealth. And let's be honest, like, regardless of, of how we are earning it, everything belongs to the Lord to begin with. We get it from him because it's his. Psalm 24, it's what, it's what the kids are learning back there in kids' side this morning. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the earth and all who dwell in it. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and a thousand hills is metaphorical for every hill, every single hill. God owns everything. So our perspective needs to shift, and it needs to shift from this is mine, and I get it my way, and this is only from me, to 
This is from God. I get this wealth from God. But that's not the only perspective shift that we need to have. We also need to understand how I get it matters. So I get my wealth from God, but how I get it matters. And just like we've seen all through Proverbs, we have two options. You can choose to, even though we acknowledge and have the right perspective that we are getting it from God, we can choose to go about getting it two ways. We can get it foolishly or we can get it wisely. We can get it attempting to uh, forsake God and, and ignore Him, or we can get it in trying to be wise and seeking after Him and finding good things in that. So what we're going to do is break down like the, the two ways that you can foolishly and wisely get money, because how we get our wealth matters. So the first way that we can either foolishly or wisely receive our wealth is fast or fair. You can get it fast or you can get it fair. If you still have your Bible open in Proverbs chapter 13, look down at verse 11. Just, just circle it. Circle that whole verse. It's okay to write in your Bible. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. That word hastily, uh, we've talked about this in the past. It doesn't just mean fast or quickly, but it also means fraudulently. To get, it, to get it in a way that is an unconventional means that hurts somebody else, that damages somebody else. And Proverbs tells us that if we get it that way, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go away fast. When you get it fast, it's going to go away fast. When you get it in a way that is, that is uh, disregarding for other people and, and their well-being and in a way that doesn't make sense uh, in an honest and a fair way, then it will go away. But whoever gathers little by little, fairly, honestly, will increase it. So we can get it fast or fraudulently, or we can get it fair and honestly. We can get it foolishly or wisely. And what's so wise about earning something fair and honest? Like sometimes it seems like those who, who, who strive to do well and to only do the right thing maybe don't, don't see that kind of thriving. I don't know the answer for that. I don't have an answer for why even though you are faithful in your work and you may be handling your finances well, that things might not be going well for you. But what I do know is that we serve a God who hears us when we pray who has made promises to us in his word and has given us a list of principles and how we can be obedient with our finances to him. So if you're tempted to dive into a, a get-rich-quick scheme or scratchers in the lottery or whatever it is to, to gain something quickly, just know that the wisdom from God that was given to Solomon says that that will dwindle. But we can be obedient and faithful and choose to get our wealth fairly and honestly. Another two ways that we can get it is we can get it isolated or we can get it informed. We can get our wealth isolated or we can get it informed. Verse 18 says, Poverty and disgrace comes from him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. Learn from me. I was nine. I was at a football game in North Texas because that's what you do in North Texas. If you don't go to the football game on Saturdays, whether it's peewee or pro, something's wrong with you, so I went. My brother's playing football, peewee football. My mom said, here's a $20 bill. There's the concession stand. Bring me some change. Get what you want. Well, <laughs> I was nine years old with a $20 bill. What am I going to do? Like, I go straight to the concession stand, and I think I bought like 40 ring pops and a couple hot dogs and no change. Came back, like shelling out these. You guys remember ring pops? Passing those out to all my friends. And my mom's like, where's the change? And I was like, ah. And then my grandpa used that in a sermon that Sunday, and I cried and left the chapel because I'm a sensitive person. You can ask my wife. It's true. But what did I do? I took that money, and I earned it in an isolated way. I, was, I had no perspective on, oh, this is my mother. She gave it to me to steward well. I just took it and immediately used it for my own well-being and isolated rather than informed. 
And God's word tells us that it is so much better in every aspect of our lives to have a community around us and with us. That includes our finances. That includes our wealth and how we earn it and how we gain our wealth. You can do it informed with those around you saying, hey, I don't know if you should do that. That boat looks like it's missing a trailer and four tires, but the boat's a good deal. Maybe you shouldn't buy. Or you can do it isolated and say, man, I'm about to get a good deal on this boat. No one knows what's going on around here but me. You can make two different decisions with your finances and how you earn it or how you spend it. You can do it foolishly or you can do it wisely. Thirdly, how you get it matters. You can get it by wishing or you can get it by working. You got an idea of how the wishing is going. Verse 4, the, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. We live in a day and age where a lot is expected, especially in my generation as a millennial. Um, we feel entitled to a lot of things, whether it is a, a, a certain amount of money or, or what we believe that we are owed by society or our government or our families. Guys, Proverbs says that, that that's just wishing. That's wishing. To hope for something that may never come or to feel entitled to something that nobody deserves is not going to come. You will continue to crave for that and to crave for that. However, working, the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. It didn't say the wallet of the diligent. It says the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. One who, who puts forth effort and earns honestly and doesn't earn isolated but informed and works hard at doing it. These are all wise ways that we can, we can acquire and get our wealth. And they all point to, to one to, to, to one source and one perspective. I'll just say it this way. Wisdom and wealth comes when ownership becomes stewardship. When ownership becomes stewardship. Ownership says, I don't get this from anyone other than myself and my effort. Stewardship says, this is a gift that has been given to me. How can I use it wisely? Ownership says, nobody gets this but me. Stewardship says, this isn't even mine to begin with. Who can benefit from this other than me? Wisdom comes in our wealth when ownership becomes stewardship. So we don't just have to have the right perspective. We don't, we, we don't just have to have the right idea about our wealth, that it comes from God and how we get it matters. But we also have to understand that wealth has a right purpose. We need to understand the right purpose for wealth. And I am so tired of hearing this. I, I don't know if you hear it. I still do. When people, when, we, when people see celebrities who make a ton of money or they see people who are well, way more well off than they are, um, myself included in terms of looking at people who are way more wealthy than we could ever dream to be, out of jealousy saying something like, man, if you have so much money like that, like that's, that's why you're tempted to make awful decisions. It's money that's like the cause of this evil and these problems that are in the world. As believers and as Christians, we do not believe that. We actually have something a little more detailed that is given to us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money. We've used this language in the past. It's, it's, it's taking a good thing and making it a God thing. That's idolatry. That's, that's taking something that was intended to be good but making it our God. And that is what brings about all sorts of evils in our lives and temptations when we take money, wealth, finances, a gift from God that's meant to be a good thing, and turn it into what sits on the throne in our lives and in our hearts rather than Jesus Christ. The love of money is the root of all evil. And when ownership becomes stewardship, 
when ownership becomes stewardship, that is when we can kind of start to see this detachment of our love to our money. What do I mean by that? This is Veruca Salt. This is a great transition. This is Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. If you remember her at all and how irritating she was to you, she did her job. Whoever played Veruca Salt and Willy Wonka, bravo, well done. You irritate me still. So in the midst of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, it's written from a play, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. All these kids win these golden tickets and they go into the Chocolate Factory and, and they're thinking that they're just going on a tour and they're going to get a bunch of free candy and stuff like that. But what Willy Wonka is actually doing is looking for someone to pass on this inheritance of the Chocolate Factory too. Who's somebody who's wise and will handle this well. And Veruca Salt is not that person if you didn't get the memo in the movie. There's a portion in the movie where she goes into this room and there's a golden goose up there on, on the pedestal. And she wants the golden goose that lays the golden egg, man. And she wants it now. And I'm just going to read you the lyrics. I could talk about her for a long time because how irritating she is. Listen to these lyrics from her song. I want a party with rooms full of laughter, 10,000 tons of ice cream. And if I don't get the things I am after, I'm going to scream. And she screams and trashes the place. And it's irritating. What is her perspective? What is Veruca Salt's perspective in this movie about the stewardship of wealth? It's not stewardship at all. It's ownership. It's this idea that the purpose of wealth, the purpose of anything that has gain in my life is solely for me and not for anyone else. And I will grit my teeth and scream and sing poorly until I get it. What Veruca Salt is experiencing is what a lot of us experience as well. When we, when we don't look at our wealth through the lens of stewardship, we are actually held in a bond by a word that, that we're learning right now and we'll probably use more of here at Westside that we're calling security. Security. I'm not talking about the dudes with the earpieces or uh, that's the only thing I could think of. There's more than one security. Anyways, security. The idea that, now listen, we were all created for a sense of security. We were all created to feel as though we have what we need to be secure, that I have what I need, and that with the things that are given to me and that I am provided with, I will be okay. And ultimately, we are created that way by God, and the giver of all that we need is Him. It comes from Him. We are secure in Jesus. Genesis chapter 3 tells us that Eve, rather than wanting to be secure from, from trusting that God has given her all that, that He needed in the garden, all that she needed in the garden, she went to the one tree where there was a restriction, and she thought, it says that it was a delight to the eyes, good for food, and desired to make one wise. The good for food is where we see security, where she takes it for her own self to be secure in what, what she thinks that she needs. She took it herself. Here, here's what security is. Security is looking through our wealth at a lens that says, if I don't have blank, then I won't be okay. If I don't have this number in retirement, by the time I'm 65, I won't be okay. If we don't have a five-bedroom house instead of a four-bedroom house because we need the space and there's another one on the way and we need room for storage and I want a bigger yard, then I won't be okay. We live in southeast Missouri and there are rivers and streams and playtimes outside all around for us. And if I don't have a boat, we're not going to be okay. That is the sense of security. Security is a good thing, but it becomes a sin and it becomes an idol when we try to achieve security, a legitimate thing, in an illegitimate way. In reality, we have everything that we need that God has given us already. That is our security. So how do we steward our wealth well? 
not through the lens of, of security and what I get is mine and how I use it is mine, but how do I steward my wealth well? Well, first we see this. The, the purpose of wealth and to steward it well is to the glory of God. To the glory of God. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your, with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, and then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. What does this mean? Again, we're back to the people of Israel coming out of Egypt. God has given them the law, and he says, hey, you're in the wilderness. I have provided for you with paths during the day and paths during the night. I provided for you with food, manna falling from heaven, bread from heaven, which is super crazy and super cool. And now I'm taking you to a new promised land. When you get there, when you reap your first harvest, you are to bring it to me. And when you bring it to me, you are to say this. This is what you're supposed to say. You're bringing your, your baskets of your fruits and your veggies, and you say, and he brought us into this place, and God gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me, and you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you. To the glory of God. Now, in the context, these people were bringing their, their gifts and their offering from the first fruits of their harvest to, the, to, to worship, to the church, to the priests, and to the Levites. And they were bringing it there because God was giving them something to say, hey, this is how grateful we are for you delivering us out of Egypt. For us, in 2020, on this side of the cross, we can use our resources and our wealth in a wise way to the glory of God by bringing it to the church by bringing it to a resource that, that is a good for the community and a good for those around us. And how much more grateful are we to be delivered from sin and death this side of the cross than just from Egypt and the bond, Egypt and the bond of slavery like our forefathers? Listen, I'm not going to lie. It is, it is a very difficult and challenging task as a pastor of a church where all of our resources come from your gifts and your giving to come up and speak on using wealth wisely. It's nerve-wracking, and, and to be frank and honest, it's terrifying, but I don't know what else to say other than what is in God's Word. I don't know what else to say other than what is in the Bible, that we bring our resources and our gifts that aren't ours to begin with, and we bring them to the church, we bring them to those who are in need, we bring them to holding an open hand and stewarding them well and asking God, how can I give this? How can I use this? So the perspective is not just to give glory to God, but it's also to give. It's also just to give. The right purpose for our wealth is to give. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer, and another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 13 says, I have come, I bring my that offering that we were talking about a moment ago, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the worship leaders, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all of your commandments. And so if one way that we can manage our wealth and be wise in our wealth is not to just have a good, a good perspective, but also use it for the right purpose, and the right purpose is to give, we see ourselves again at this crossroads. We can give foolishly or we can give wisely. We can earn it from the Lord in legitimate ways and honestly, fairly, and informed, and we can know that it comes from Him, but we can also give it in foolish ways. So here are some ways that we can either give our wealth foolishly or wisely. One of the ways is we can give out of convenience or we can give out of contentment. We can give for convenience or we can give for 
contentment. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 7 says, One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. This is the USA American dream, baby. Pretend that you have money and have all this great stuff, but really we're using... Listen, look, I'm just going to tell you this story really quick. When I was in college, my mom was like, you want that $2,500 Fender Twin Reverb Amplifier from Guitar Center? You can have it. I was like, Mom, I don't have $2,500. She said, Tyler, just go to the store and tell them you have a credit card, and then you swipe it, and you can pay like $25 a month. And I was like, that's a thing? You can do that? Like, I can buy something I don't have money for? And I, I did not rip I was, I was this in my mind. I still am. But... I did not realize that that's the way the world works. That's the way that, that modern society rolls around and that we are as large of a country as we are today. It's through financing. It's through buying things that we can pay monthly for in smaller amounts with great amounts of interest, or we can write a check for it, which is way less popular and way more difficult. Listen to this proverb again. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Let's just be honest, the bank owns my house. The bank owns my van. The bank owns the land that I mow every single weekend with such great diligence. These are wise words, guys. One pretends to be rich but has nothing. Are we giving from a place of trying to, be convenient, to, to live conveniently? Or are we giving from a place of contentment that I'm satisfied in all that I have? That I have what I need? St. Augustine wrote this prayer, Augustine, however you want to say it, it's fine with me. It's a prayer for contentment. He said, Almighty God, you know our needs before we even ask, and even our ignorance in asking. Set your servants free from all anxious thoughts about the future. Give us contentment with your good gifts, and confirm our faith that as we seek your kingdom, you will not let us lack any good thing through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So we can give out of convenience or we can give out of contentment. We can also give for comforts for ourselves or we can give out of care for others. We can give out of comfort or we can give out of care. Proverbs 28, 27 says, Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Whoever gives to the poor will not want. Are we giving out of a place? Are we utilizing our wealth in a wise way to where we look around and we steward with our hand open and say, what's going on with my neighbors? What's going on with those in my community group? Are we struggling? How are we doing as a family? Are we giving out of care for others or are we giving just for comforts in our lives that will never fill that need for security that can only be fulfilled and come from the Lord? I'm going to close with this. The band can come up and lead us in a time of response. Um, Jesus tells a parable about a man who is dishonestly managing his master's money. He's fired by his master, and as he is, he pulls a fast one with the finances, and he collects less debt from all of the people who owed his master money. And when he did that, he made some friends. They were like, oh, great, I only owe you 100 instead of 10,000. And then he brings all of, the, all of the money to his master, and the master is like, there should be more than this, but you got me. Like, well done, I guess. Jesus says that the master commends his manager for being shrewd, for the shrewdness of how he dealt with his money. And Jesus says something pretty remarkable. He's like, people in the world are, are shrewd with this money, with this worldly wealth, and it gains them friends. And Jesus goes on to say, 
you can use wealth that way to gain friends too. That's like, what is, that doesn't sit right. Alistair Begg had this to say about this. He says, Jesus is absolutely, unequivocally making much of this. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends? It strikes us wrong at first, but when you put it in terms of eternity, it's not middle-class morality, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Rather, it is eternal morality, the sacrifice of what we have for a rich welcome in the kingdom of heaven. See, giving is the gauge for wisdom in our wealth. Are we using our wealth wisely? Where is our wealth going and how are we giving our wealth? It's the gauge for wisdom in our wealth. In that parable, it's, we're gonna, that parable, Jesus says that we're gonna see people in heaven and we're like, why are you here? And they're gonna be like, well, I didn't know much about this Christian thing or Jesus or loving God, but I know, the, I know the whole path to me getting here started with somebody covering a bill that I couldn't cover when I was in a time of need. I was shown the love of Jesus Christ through material things, through temporary things, and now we are reaping eternal rewards for that. It was not the same thing done for you and me. The same thing. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. When did He give His only Son? Ephesians chapter 2 tells us it's when we were dead in our trespasses, and He still generously gave His Son. God invested eternity into the temporary. So we can use the temporary to invest in eternity. Jesus said, don't lay up treasures for yourself here on earth. Put them in heaven. That's where your treasures are. That's where your heart's going to be. So I'm going to ask two questions that you can reflect on either this week or this morning. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Wherever you find yourself, and however you answer these, we're not going to give you the answers to these questions. I can't give you the answers to these questions. And pray and be honest with the Lord and ask God to guide you in how you can be wise with the wealth that he has given you. So the first question is, what is my perspective on wealth? Is it mine? Do I get it solely from me? Is it his? How am I earning it? Wisely? Foolishly? Does my perspective need to change? And secondly, what has God given me? How should I steward it? What do I have? What are my assets? What has God entrusted me to steward well, and how can I do that? About five lines into the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he teaches them about contentment and being satisfied with what they need for the day. Can we leave here reflecting on that good news? Westside, I want you to stand, if you're able, and let's pray as the Lord taught us so boldly to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.
for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.